This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, the legendary Dog Whistle Brandon. You're in for a treat today on DWB as I sit down with Leanne Darlin, a fellow Naval Academy graduate and co-founder of Talea Beer Company, a woman-owned brewery and tap room based in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Leanne started the company along with her co-founder, Tara Hackinson, after seeing a market opportunity for more women-friendly branding and flavors in the beer brewing industry. Although Leanne and Tara hold MBAs from top business schools, their real learning didn't begin until they launched Talea. On the show, Leanne opens up about what it took to get Talea off the ground, including carrying backpacks of beer around New York City in an effort to meet with other tap rooms and close new accounts. While branding was a critical investment early on for her and her team, and Talea's strategic approach to growth as they work towards building a nationally recognized brand. I'm telling y'all, I've been a fan of Talea's for a long time, and I'm excited to finally get Leanne on the show. Gunny, it's about that time. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride where we provide no fluff and high impact brand strategy and business coaching for veteran owned businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding, founder of Ironbound Media and business coach at the Lions Pride. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. Leanne, welcome to Dog Whistle Brand. What's going on? Uh, not much. It's a rainy day here in Brooklyn. Um, hoping people will come in for a few rounds of beer, but um, otherwise, you know, another day. I'm giddy like a little kid today because I've actually been looking forward to this interview for quite some time. First came across Leanne in uh, the Veterans and Residents with Bunker Labs back, what, like two years ago? Pre-COVID, I don't know. It feels like 20, another universe. 2018, 2018. Yeah, uh, when you guys were fundraising, just getting things off the ground. You didn't even have your tap room, right? No. But uh, now no. to see the growth, it's absolutely amazing. I took my girlfriend to one of your locations. I actually forgot where it was, right? Um, but it was amazing. I'm excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So bring our listeners up to speed. Please introduce yourself and tell them what you got going on with Talea Beer. Sure. So uh, my name is Leanne Darland. I'm one of the co-founders of Talea Beer Co. We are based in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, my business partner, Tara Hankinson, and I first started working on this project in 2018 together. Before that, we had more traditional corporate careers. Um, but right out of the gates, I I had a career in the military, so I served in the I went to the Naval Academy, graduated in 2008, and served in the Navy for five years. Um, and while I was stationed in San Diego, I fell in love with craft beer, like 2013, um, hoppy beer mecca there, and um, just loved going to different breweries after getting off the ship to have a pint and discover the new things they had on the menu. Um, 
So my appreciation for beer definitely came from my time in the Navy, but I had a love for finance, a love for business. And those were the things I studied in school and and got a master's out of the academy in finance. Um, And so when I got out of the Navy, I pursued a career in corporate finance and moved up to San Francisco, Um, got a job, fortunately recruited by another veteran uh, at Google and worked there for three years. And it was an incredible experience. I have nothing but amazing things to say about working at Google. Um, But it was just a little too big for me. And looking back now, I don't think I realized at the time how big of an entrepreneurial itch I had. Um, And just, you know, I I loved reading the books by Howard Schultz about starting Starbucks and um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight um, about the Nike story. And all of that was just so intriguing to me. so I started to think more about beer and how I could have my own my own company in the beer industry. Um, so I didn't know anything about the beer industry other than I loved drinking it. Um, so I, I decided to start getting my MBA at night at Berkeley. Um, GI Bill paid for half, Google paid for the other half. So it was a, an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And uh, just started homebrewing and trying to figure out what my step into the craft beer industry could be. Um, and I ended up joining, leaving Google, you know, cutting my salary in half to join a beer e-commerce startup that was based in Berkeley as their head of finance. Um, we went through a few rounds of funding and got um, a, a significant amount of funding from Heineken, decided to move the headquarters here to New York City to be closer to Heineken USA. Um, and ultimately I hired on my now co-founder on to the team of that company. And within three months of knowing each other, uh, we had formed an LLC to create a brewery of our own. So sorry if this is too much. No, nah, um, we love it. Keep going. But, um, so we started out you know, we both love craft beer. We both home brewers. We both had, you know, Tara has our MBA too. And I will say to anyone who's interested in starting a business that I learned way more about what it takes to build a startup by working at a startup, uh, not compared to what I learned in an MBA class. And I'll tell you like the two classes that I found valuable from my MBA experience Um, there's books about it and there's a million articles you can read about it. And one is understanding fundraising and venture capital. If you ever go down that route, it's really important to learn about term sheets and the different structures of different investment vehicles. Um, and two is negotiations. So those are two great classes I had. Everything else is, everything is learnable online. (laughs) Um, but I, my, one of my the biggest pieces of advice I ever have is for people who want to have their own company is to start by working at a startup first and seeing firsthand what the hell is workers comp, what's general liability insurance, how do you run payroll, um, all the, the nitty gritty things that you never learn in a classroom or you never learn at a big company. Um, that's the stuff that'll just get you up and running much quicker. Um, so Tara and I met at this startup and really felt that the craft beer industry was knew it was lacking in diversity, but even just intuitively walking into a grocery store, um, 
there are very few craft beers that are trying to actively speak to non-beer bros or non-beer drinkers. So you look on the shelves and you see names like Stone Arrogant Bastard or Lord Hobo Boom Sauce or um, the Blood of the Unicorn, um, just ridiculous hyper-masculine <laughs> uh, names, um, or they're sporty or they're at worst a little misogynistic. But at the same time, wine companies and hard seltzer companies are just screaming at at customers like us. So we really felt like there was an opportunity in craft beer, which is a very, very crowded space to speak to um, non-craft beer drinkers. Um, the people who thought that IPAs would be are way too hoppy or that craft beer was way too high in alcohol. Um, so we set out to create a beer company that was more approachable and inclusive and speaking to an entirely new demographic than the craft beer industry was at the time. That's what I love the most about um, your company, right? Because as soon as I saw it, it made complete sense to me. You know, even as like an African-American male, right? You see a lot of skull and bones and da, da, da. I'm like, I don't know, man. You're a target customer too. Yeah, it's not just women. It's just yeah. people who, yeah, um, are typically alienated by the craft beer industry. Now, I had to ask you, right? You read the books, right? Shoe Dog, like you said, Howard Schultz, right? Mm-hmm. How is it being actually in the trenches? Because you're in it now, you know? It's like, it ain't no you know, hype no more. They have, I mean, they have stories that are way more challenging than what we've experienced so far yet. And, and a lot of their challenges ended up coming like five to 10 years into the process as well. So, you know, there's, there's startup challenges, which we've definitely had our fair share. Uh, but then there's scaling challenges that are equally, if not more challenging, because now you have more people you're employing and more money on the line and a reputation. And um, the bigger you get, the bigger the spotlight is on you, for better or for worse. So, um, you know, Tara and I have been through a lot and um, that hands down the the biggest challenges we've had is managing and leading people um, and building the right team. And as much as I've, I've always felt like coming out of the academy was a leadership incubator as a junior officer, you're, you're never going to nail it. You're never going to be a, a perfect leader. And, and that's something that we both work on every day. Um, and I know that will continue to be the challenge. We're, we're only going to be as successful as the people working with us. So that's a hard nut to crack. That's a hard thing to perfect over time. I actually just wrote a blog post about this. I call it the art and science of veteran of running a veteran owned small business. So I'm big on like field of play, right? So like going to the academy, serving in the military, we know the art and science of leading on that field of play, the military. Right. But it's different when you're running a business, right? Yeah, leadership it's leadership is kind of like the same, right? Obviously, we, everybody understands leadership, but the science of it, right? Like the having a job scorecard for an employee, you know, having core values, having all that stuff dialed in, having an onboarding process, having a cadence yeah. of accountability. That's the science of it. And a lot of times we struggle with this because people assume, and I'm not saying you, but I've talked to a lot of veteran entrepreneurs. They think they got it figured out. Like I already got the leadership stuff down. You know, it's going to be easy. 
And then next thing you know, you got an employee that's locked out of his email, you know, all kind of stuff yeah. going. He's stealing files and shit gets serious yeah. quick. And so I encourage I people, man, you got to cover down on that gap. It's a different field to play. Um, and you got to step it up. And I appreciate you um, sharing some transparency on that. And I'll probably do an episode on it um, with that blog post. One yeah. of the things you did early on was you invested in branding up front from the very beginning. And I remember you telling me, you were like, look, there's a designer in Europe that I want to work with, right? I know he's a little bit pricey, but this is an important part of how you envision a brand. Can you talk to us about yeah. that? Absolutely. So when we launched Talea, there were probably 8,500 breweries in the U.S. And um, you've walked into a Whole Foods here in New York City, probably anywhere. Craft beer is huge. And more than ever, now there is hundreds of different beer labels on the shelves. And they are all artistic. And they are all, you know, vying to catch the eye of the consumer. Um, and there's a, a lot of people will talk about how wine shoppers typically end up buying based on the label because they know they want white or red and then they know the ballpark price point and then it comes down to the label and i think craft beer is very much the same way now with with the plethora of options you have on the shelves so we knew we wanted to speak to a different type of craft beer consumer and we knew we wanted to stand out and so the brand was essential um, to make that happen. And when we first launched the business, we didn't have our own brick and mortar spaces. We were contract brewing or basically co-packing our beer and selling it to bars and restaurants and retailers around New York City. So not only did the packaging have to be incredibly eye-catching, um, but the names of the beers, because when we're at a bar and we're on a draft list or we're on a chalkboard, something's got to stand out um, among the six IPAs that they have on tap. So every element of our brand was critical with such a competitive space. The colors too, when you think about um, the the color palette, right? It's very friendly, right? It's very vibrant, mm -hmm. feels very summery. Mm -hmm. And again, it does stand out, right? And the designer that you reached out to, was that you who, who was like, I want this guy? No, so Tara had done a an internship at a winery in Long Island, um, and loved that their packaging and so she knew who that designer was so we reached out and um you know i i won't disclose the initial budget but we had no we had no money and he had never done a beer before so i think it was kind of a fun project for him as well and of course that fee has increased over time because it's very much deserved on his behalf um but you never you never know until you ask like you know, if you're going to a few different branding agencies, they're all going to quote you. Like, I think the cheapest PR firm we've ever been quoted has been like seven or eight grand retainer per month. And like, there's no way we can do that. But if you go to someone, you're like, hey, I'm trying to get this started. Can you build me a brand for a thousand bucks? And for us, it was like um, our logo, which is you know, still used today and our first three cans. Um, and then, you know, a couple of a tap handle, like we just put this package together and we were like, all right, how much can we afford to get this brand off the ground? And we, we did that before we had a name 
of, for, of our brewery. It was one of the first people that and our architect and interior designer were some of the first people we met with about Palea. One of the things I've learned, thanks to this platform and my work outside of it, is for CPG companies, the importance of that logo, right? That logo is going to mm. identify you on the shelves. It's got to be big enough, right? People have all kinds of designs and stuff going on, but they miss the logo. But one of the things I'm constantly hearing from entrepreneurs is, oh, I can't afford to invest in branding and marketing, right? What do you say to them around that? I think you can't afford not to, as cheesy as that sounds. I mean, unless you have something that is totally one of a kind and you have no one else on the shelves next to you, which is nearly impossible and actually would make things more impossible in the CPG land because then retailers don't know where you fit in their store. Um, I think... I think you have to. I think it's just as important, if not more important, than whatever you're packaging. Because if if what you're packaging is incredible, but no one glances at it on the shelves, then you're dead in the water. Um, you could have the most incredible product and no one buys it. And then so you have nothing. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's essential, especially for CPG. All right. So you got the Google background underneath you. You've got experience in a startup. You know, you got your MBA. You've took your go-to-market classes. Now you launch the brand. You get the uh you get the packaging, get all that other stuff. All right, talk to us what initial what your initial go-to-market looked like and how looked like and how it shifted once you start to actually engage the enemy. I'm not calling our customers enemy, but you know what I'm saying? Once you're actually out there hooking and jabbing. So we we knew we wanted to build a brewery of our own uh, because the the economics on contract brewing and wholesaling would never pay the bills. Um, and we lost um, well over six figures of our own money in the first two years um, just trying to, to do that exact thing. But we were doing it in order to prove to investors that we could sell, we can make beer, we could sell beer. Um, so, you know, give us your money so we can build our own brewery and tap room because the tap room is a very profitable, um, sales channel for breweries. So we contract brewed. And then as soon as we had a beer in hand, we knew we had to, uh, quit our paying jobs and go down to no pay and fill up backpacks of beer and go door to door around Brooklyn and Manhattan trying to get people to buy this beer we made. And um, I'm sure you can imagine New Yorkers, new person, new girl walking in with a backpack, asking for the beer buyer um, in the financial district or wherever, you know, there were tears. Tears were shed uh, between Tara and I during those first several months trying to get people to buy this product. Um, and to make matters worse, we had a logistical mess up for our first batch and we got the wrong cans delivered. So we had to sell all of our beer out of hydroflasks and <laughs> couldn't give samples to any account and tried to convince people to like try the beer in front of us on the spot because I only have a growler pour and I can't leave this with you and I have to make sure I get to the next account before the CO2 you know, dissolves out of the beer. It was a shit show. Um, but everyone bought it. As soon as they tasted it, they bought it. And, you know, the the branding, we had like a few cans that we would just show them. Um, but, you know, you can look, but don't touch. But 
one of the our target accounts or dream accounts was Whole Foods, and we got a meeting with their regional uh, buyer um, within a month of having our first beer packaged. And so we definitely saved. We had like maybe ten cases. We definitely saved them um, some of the samples, but um, they loved it. And you know, sixty-two percent of their shoppers are women during the middle of the day, and if they can increase alcohol sales, then that's a no-brainer for them. Um, and so they pretty quickly put us in all New York City Whole Foods, which was awesome and gave us a lot of credibility for investors. So it was just the grind. Like we had no idea if people would buy it, uh, what people would think of it. Even before it was brewed, we had no idea what it would turn out um, or how it would turn out, the taste, the color. Um, what we envisioned for the beer, you know, it's going to be different on every single brew system it's brewed on. So there was a lot of uh, hope and <laughs> just kind of crossing our fingers and just doing it day in and day out for the first year and a half uh, before we started building our space. Y'all hear that? She was on foot. They got photos to prove it going door to door. <laughs> A lot of y'all listening, y'all want to hide behind social media and then wonder why you're not making money, man. You got to get out there. You know, I say business is a contact sport. So you got to get out there and start making contact. You got to talk to real humans. And uh, they spoke very highly of you at Harlem Hops, by the way. That's my jam. Oh, nice. Yeah. I go to Harlem Hops all the time. So I need you to re-up <laughs> over there because uh, yeah, right. that's the jam. All right. So. You're doing the door-to-door, right? You're working with, uh, you know, some of these local breweries and stuff. One of the things that's interesting to me off the bat is I feel like you knew from the very beginning you were trying to build, like, a national brand, right? Like, you weren't just trying to build just, like, a local kind of craft brewery, you know, spot, right? Like, you guys are really focusing heavy on New York City, but you have the makings of a brand and a strategy that I think can go, like, nationwide. Were you cognizantly thinking of that or is that something that expanded over time once you actually start to kind of toy around with it? I think we wanted to build the foundation of the company with the ability to go national at some point. So that's one of the reasons we were very intentional and in not calling it, well, we couldn't call it Brooklyn Brewery. That's <laughs> taken, but like, you know, look at brands like Montauk or Brooklyn Brewery or, um, you know, even if we called it Williamsburg Brewery. That's not going to resonate with someone in Charleston, South Carolina, or Savannah, Georgia, or Denver, Colorado. So we we knew for sure we didn't want to tie ourselves to a specific geography. And then everything else, you know, we just wanted to do it um, in a smart way and make sure we were setting ourselves up to be able to scale nationally if that time came. As we started to actually generate revenue and realize the profit margins of shipping beer to to wholes to retailers through a wholesaler um, or sell it on our own through our own tap rooms which is more of a local model um, we realized we wanted to give ourselves a nice foundation of profits and focus on the in-person tap room experience um, instead of trying to push our footprint as quickly as possible. Because then you start to lose control of quality. You start to lose control of the voice of the brand. If you're a dusty four-pack sitting on a shelf somewhere in Massachusetts and no one's heard of you, like that's that's doing you a disservice. So our goals now are to 
go as deep as possible in New York City for the next two to three years. Um, and then at that point, assess geographically where and how we want to expand, either just through wholesale or do we want to replicate this model and build breweries and tap rooms in another metropolitan area? Now, you raised capital um, for this, for Talaya. Mm-hmm. What is the expectation around investors, you know, with the ROI and everything, with your strategy? Like, hey, we're going to stay, you know, regionally focused for now. When we first started raising, we talked to a few VCs and they wanted us to scale nationwide as soon as possible because they're looking for that 5 to 10x return in three years. Um, we knew that that was going to be difficult to do. And if we did it, it would just be a flash in the pan branding wise. Um, and so we, you know, they totally agreed that there was a gap in the market, but we disagreed on how we were going to execute that. And for them, it's too too capital intensive for too little of a return for them. And we got that. So we don't have any venture capitalists. Uh, we don't have any strategic investors. We don't have any lead investors. So we went to, we emailed Every person we knew, um, you know, old old professors, old bosses at previous companies, all my friends in the military, family, um, our ex-boyfriends, like everyone, and sent them the pitch deck and just said, if you or anyone you know may be interested in investing, um, please get in touch. So we cast a very, very wide net, and we also made a very low initial minimum investment requirement. So we only required a $10,000 investment, which for many people is, um, it's easy, it can be easy to part ways with um, so that if like in five years we haven't exited or we haven't started to pay that back. Like no one's, no one's going bankrupt um, from that investment or they shouldn't. And if they could, then they shouldn't invest in us. But um, hasn't happened, but um, so we, it's a fun investment, right? It's kind of a vanity investment, being a part owner in a brewery, you come in, you get your first round free anytime you're in. Um, and uh, we needed though a high valuation because we had to raise like, at that time we thought we needed $2 million to build this space. And so for Tara and I to still have skin in the game, we needed a high valuation. So there were a lot of different variables at play and we ended up doing sort of a hybrid debt and equity structure, but we had over 106, I think we had 116 investors for our first round. It took us a year. We raised a little over 2 million. So we pitched hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, we would host people, we would host whole groups that were interested at a time and bring them beer that wasn't ours and like paired it with meats and cheeses and put on the show and, um, eventually brought people to our empty warehouse. It's now our brewery and had a really sketchy, like beer keg jockey set up. Like we just did everything we could <laughs> to get the investments. Um, and then lo and behold, the build out cost is closer to 4 million. So then we also had to get an SBA loan personally guaranteed um, on top of that. So Tara and I and our families are still millions in debt. Um, <laughs> trying to climb out of that hole, but um, yeah, that was that was our first round, and then when we raised the second round, we went back to that same pool of investors. About eighty percent of them came in, and we raised three and a half in about a month. 
Um, so that's been cool. We have an enormous investor base, but they are all extremely, extremely, extremely low maintenance, which is amazing. Yeah, um, I, I know a few of them. And you guys were working yeah. at WeWork, man. I was like, in the conference yeah. room? I was like, turning them? They got oh, more yeah. and more people? Yep. I'm telling you, that yeah, incubator space to. is so key. We hosted so many people there. Um, it was great. It gave us a little bit of legitimacy, you know? Yeah. No, 100%. <sighs> all right. So you go through all this. You raise the money, right? You're just going, you know, foot traffic, et cetera. COVID hits, right? Mm-hmm. I was worried about y'all. How did, <laughs> but, you know, when, on, for whatever reason, when people are stuck inside, they just want to drink alcohol. So how are you able yeah. to navigate? How are you able to navigate COVID and come out of that and uh, build a space? You know, timing was actually very fortunate for us. So we signed the lease on our space in November 2019. Um, I was maybe four months pregnant at the time and um, started construction right around like February of 2020. So our goal is to open before the end of the year, like maybe fall of 2020. We're still self-distributing our beer around the city. You know, Tara and I are driving around in the van, um, delivering and selling our beer. And then COVID happened. So at that point, I'm seven months pregnant. Tara's newly pregnant. Um, We had no idea what was going to happen, if it was going to be a one-month period slowdown or six months or whatever. And like I mentioned earlier, we were losing money on that operation um, because contract brewing and wholesaling is not profitable. So we decided to just stop that part of the business, focus on construction. Um, we closed our that first round in April of 2020. So we had enough funds to get the ball rolling on construction. So we just focused on making sure that happened had a couple babies along the way um, and opened our doors in March of 2021, about two weeks after vaccination started to roll out. So fortunately, people were desperate to get outside and to get a beer and to feel a little bit of normalcy again. But it was a scary time. We, we had no idea. Well, we cut the budget drastically. So we probably cut $700,000 off the construction budget because we were like, look, we don't know if anyone will come inside this space. We bought no furniture because when we opened, it was still, oh, I think there was still no inside seating. And then like over the following months, so we were like, okay, I feel comfortable buying 10 bar stools or like, let's buy two tables. And then, um, you know, we had outdoor seating. So we, we made sure all that seating was purchased before anything indoors. There were just, it was a very weird time. But fortunately, like we were very fortunate though with with the overall timing of everything. You all are beasts, man. And then Omicron happened, and that was awful. But uh, the winter was really hard last winter, so we're really anxious to see what this holiday season is like. I just want to say, you and your co-founder are beasts, and this is what I'm gonna tell y'all. Right? People always ask me as an entrepreneur, who do I look up to? They think I'm gonna be looking <laughs> up to some, you know, like you say, a Howard Schultz or Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. And it's people like you, Leanne. I swear to God. Like, I don't have any kids yet. You know, I'm still dating my beautiful girlfriend, Simone. Shout out to Simone. 
But I can only imagine how hard it is being an entrepreneur while also like having a baby in my, you know, in my belly and all the mental health mm-hmm. and all the challenges that come with that. And for you to persevere yeah. through COVID, you know, build out this thing, man, that to me, like you're the type of people I look up to. And I'm not just saying that, like, I really mean it. Thank you. All right. So one thing I'm curious about on the capital side of the house, right? You got to mm-hmm. have cash flow, right? It's a real thing. Right. So you're spending all this money up front to build this space out. Right. You've got to have money to purchase equipment and all this other stuff. How do you balance that? Uh, Forecast. You have to build a plan. So whether you learn it in school or you learn it on like one of the Stanford free courses they offer online, understand the basics of a P&L or profit and loss statement, understand the basics of cash flow statement and balance sheet. And how those all work together. Because even though you may be highly profitable one month, you may have a cash outflow because you bought brewing equipment or you bought inventory, which is, you know, if you see on Shark Tank, that's always what they have issues with. Like, right. we don't have enough inventory. We need more cash. So it's, it's so important. And if, if you aren't comfortable with it, hire someone part-time to help you with it because that's critical. Um, so... We had many different forecasts um, and, you know, we had talked to the vendors and and knew what we didn't know was how much the build out would cost, which, you know, we had to scramble and get an SBA loan. So we didn't have it all figured out either. Um, But once we were open, we were in a pretty stable spot. We had we had paid off most of our brewing equipment up front. Um, So then it was just a matter of managing inventory costs and um, beer that was that's considered work in process or work in progress um before it's actually ready to sell and it's probably you know we have maybe two hundred thousand dollars tied up in inventory at any given time so just being aware of that and that amount will increase as sales increase um it's just really important to grasp all those fundamentals yeah cash flow is another thing it's one thing you can read about but it's a difference to experience it you know because all the little all those little costs are oh, yeah. adding up and then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, you know, and like for me as an agency owner, I can go just get one contract or whatever. But I think about larger operations like yours, you know, it's very capital and it's very capital intensive. It is. And like there are always these expenses that happen each month. It's like, oh, well, that won't happen next month. So I'll be good. Like every month still, I'll, I'm, I'm the finance person. for us, So it's like, I think we'll make 150K profit this month. And inevitably, it's like 22. Like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like, wow, where did it go? And it's like, some months it's like, you're surprised that it's much higher. But like, shit always happens. Like, we just we just fermented a beer on grape skins. Um, and we were just trying to clean out the tanks. And the grape skins clogged up all of our drains. So now people can't flush the toilet. And so now we're paying, you know, probably $1,500 for emergency plumbing services. To get these damn grape skins out of our drains it's just like you know you can't predict this shit so always make sure you have a buffer too yeah i went to your union station location it was booming i mean it was oh, booming yes, during dude. the summer right and again i was one of them yeah. times like i know the honor you know i gotta you know i need a little cream had to let them know um but <laughs> what does your marketing and branding look like at that scale right so you've got all these different locations. You got three different locations. You guys came out the gate swinging because you got a lot of PR, right? New York Times. Mm-hmm. We were on Fox News together, 
right? And I'm mm-hmm. sure that helped over time. But like now when you sit down, you're like, okay, we got to grow the brand. We got to go revenue. Like, how are you doing that? For us, because, well, for our wholesale operation, we hire more sales reps. Um, there are thousands of bars and restaurants in this city and no one's going to buy your beer if you are not in their face. Um, whoever is in their face is who they're going to buy from. So wholesale, we, we just hired our, our second employee. So we're still not that big. And then tap room PR is great, but it does, it's not a revenue driver. Um, it's a brand awareness, you know, brand builder, but doesn't really, we were recently on the today show, which was like, the dream feature and they did a four minute segment in our brewery with the host brewing our beer and drinking it was perfect but like you know kathy in oklahoma being interested in our beer watching us on tv isn't doing shit for our bottom line right now so it's great and we still take every opportunity we possibly can to get that exposure but what's really driving business for us is like it's taproom activations and Grand Central is great because people just get off work and we're an easy spot to stop. And they they hardly know anything about our brand, but it's the location is so phenomenal that it's like amazing and impossible to replicate. Um, we kind of have an incredible deal there with the land, with the building manager um, that we could never come across again. But in our brick and mortar spaces, you know, we have taproom yoga on Saturday mornings. We do trivia nights. We do food pop-ups. We had an Oktoberfest special. We, you know, it's, it's nonstop in person. Like you said, it's in, everything is in person. Social media, I'm not convinced does much for us. It's important. Everyone's got to have it, but it's not making money for us. We don't sell online. Um, so we need people walking into our space and drinking the beer for us to be successful and that's a very different call to action and a very different um approach to marketing i learned this the hard way early on with ironbound boxing people see me all over the news they see me everywhere but again Mm -hmm. donations weren't coming in now i jump on with a naval academy grad now quick 20 minute zoom call he's like mike love what you're doing (laughs) you know we're yeah absolutely yeah I try to tell people like the social media hamster wheel, making TikTok videos, all that stuff. I feel like that's getting sold to a lot of entrepreneurs. It's just a complete waste of time for most people because it's not like you said, it's not expensive. Like if you go down that rabbit hole of, of paying for ads, that's an addict. That's that's like walking into a casino in my mind because it's like you get hungry and you want more. And so then you spend a little more and next thing you know, your cat's $200 and, um, you know, it's just like we've never paid for social, which I'm proud of. We we pay we have a team of three people on our marketing team that run our social. So in that way we're investing in it. They do other things as well. But yeah, I'm not convinced. Um, unless you're purely e com play and that's where your shoppers are going to purchase your product. Um, it's kind of it's just there for brand building, I guess. What's the key thrust that's going to get to you to the next level? The what? Key thrust. What's the thing that you're focusing on now that's going to get you to the next level? Opening more tap rooms. Um, so we are in lease negotiations for one in the West Village. I guess another one on the Upper West Side that we keep going back and forth on. Um, 
but yeah, the, those are the money makers for us. And to really get to a comfortable place for the business, we need at least two or three more. Um, and they, it's a long lead time. It takes, you know, usually six months to find a space, two months to negotiate a lease, five months for permitting, and then four months for a build out. So it's like an incredibly long process, but hopefully we'll have two more spaces open in 2023. And then um, one more in 24. And then beyond that, we'll see where we want to go next. Long term, what's your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? Like, what are you working towards? Financial freedom, building a good life for my family. Um, you know, in many ways, I'm already there um, and I'm very fortunate. But I think there's still. Um, Tara and I start, we're business people first and beer lovers second. So I could definitely see us maybe exiting one day and starting another company together. Um, but for now, I think we're focusing on just enjoying the journey that we're in as much as possible. It's really easy to feel bogged down all the time. And again, like not take a step back and admire what we've accomplished and enjoy what we've accomplished. We have such an incredible team, um, that could run this place without us right now, pretty much, which is kind of the goal. Um, right. But now we're also kind of like, well, what are we going to do today? Like, <laughs> I find myself like wandering around and just popping in on other people's meetings and that's fun. But um, I don't know. I think a, a successful exit is like, is always um, a goal for us. Do you ever get uncomfortable when people are like, man, Leanne, you're killing it. Y'all are killing it. You know, almost as if like you've got it all figured out and you're just everything's so perfect. Not uncomfortable, but just like they don't even know, you know. I have no idea. Like, no one has it figured out. Google didn't have it figured out. You peel back right. the curtain, and it's a shit show everywhere. Like, um, I it makes me really happy to know that people have that perception. That's a great perception. Like, wouldn't it suck if they were like, "Oh, it's looking like you guys are struggling." <laughs> yeah, it's um, a real shit show over there. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. How are things going? Um. But no, that's usually the, the thing. And I'm sure it's the same for you because you're like, you're everywhere. People see you everywhere. And so they assume it's going really well. It's like, no, we lost $150,000 the first quarter of this year because yeah. Omicron and turns out people don't want to drink in January because of dry January. But, um, you know, we're working. We're getting there. So I just wrote my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Value Your Business Model, Built Your Brand. Step in your greatness. I got the hard copies last week, right? Comes Amazing. in the mail. And, you know, people like record videos. They're opening their books or whatever. Me, I was so focused on everything but the damn book. It was just another thing, you know, because I was stressing. I was going through it, right? And I had to read freaking Dan Sullivan's book, uh, The Gap in the Game, where he talks about Dan Sullivan, Benjamin Hardy, because I was trying to articulate how I was feeling. I was feeling just this terrible anxiousness. And one of the things they emphasized in the book was the concept is there's the ideal version of yourself and your business and where you are now, and that's the gap, right? And so no matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, you're never that ideal version yet. Yeah. And so you're in this constant state of less than, right? And not necessarily appreciating 
what you've done to get up to that point versus the gain where you measure your progress backwards, right? Mm -hmm. So you say, hey, I set out to get here. I'm not there yet, but man, look how far I've come in the last two years or the three years. And it's like, it's it's a constant battle on the mental perspective. For a lot of us as high performers, military veterans, we got to stay mentally sharp. You got to stay sharp for your kids. You know, I got to stay sharp for my kids at Ironbound too. But man, it is not easy. And so I know we come on here, people see us. Oh man, y'all are killing, y'all are killing it. Make no mistake, right? We're in the trenches, but we're working and we're pushing forward. And I appreciate you making time in the midst of running to Leia to, uh, to share some insights in your journey for our listeners. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you for having me. So as a community of veteran entrepreneurs from all over the country, all over the world, how can we support uh, Talea Beer Co.? Um, spreading the word and stopping by for a beer if you're ever around or picking us up at Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Costco, Fresh Direct, anywhere. Um, you may see us on the shelves. I'll be sure to include a link in the show notes to your website. And y'all already awesome. know I rep to lay all the time. I'm, I'm like, I'm always sending Leanne like photos uh, when I'm drinking it. But one thing I didn't yeah. ask you, what's Talea stand for? How'd you come up with the name? So it is a made up name. It's a combination of Tara and my first name. So a portmanteau of our names. Um, but it wasn't our first. We started with Weekender, um, but ran into a trademark issue. So we had to with 9,000 breweries we're competing with on a trademark basis. We had to make up a award. Um, so that's it. Love it. Well, for all our listeners, do me a favor. Be sure to subscribe to Dog Whistle Brandon newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you want me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mikeandweirironbound.com or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week, everyone. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we provide no-fluff and high-impact brand strategy for veteran-owned businesses. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by the Lions Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders. We serve mission-driven, high-performing small business owners with at-the-ready resources, battle-tested tools, and full-service support. We're proud to support veteran and other badass-owned businesses at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com. Thank you.